want to also welcome you to our service this morning. You know, every time we have a holiday, there's several of our number who travel other places for family time and activity, and they're worshiping in other congregations, and we certainly miss them. But at the same time, we have people that travel here to visit, and we have some visitors in our assembly this morning. We're so happy to have you. We count you as our honored guest, and we feel that it's a blessing that you're here with us today. We want to spend our time today studying our eternal existence. And we want to start in the book of Job, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Man is born of a woman, is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Job gives us some really important truths in just these short two verses. He says that man is of few days. He says that he's born full of trouble. Job is telling us to expect challenges in our lives. He's telling us that we should not be surprised when we face troubles or hurdles because this is our testing ground. We're here temporarily, as Matthew expressed in his prayer. Matthew said we're only here for a moment, and that was the idea that Job was extending when he said that our time is short, it's like a flower or a shadow. A flower is soon cut off, a a shadow soon disappears when the sun comes overhead. He's referring to our existence on this earth, and as we compare our time frame of earthly life to eternity, indeed it is very, very short. I looked up the average lifespan in the United States in 2020 was 79.8 years. That has steadily gotten to be more as our health systems and different things make our lives longer. But even if we consider the life of Methuselah, which was 969 years, That time span is only a speck on the timeline of eternity. We tend to live for the here and now. We're very impatient. We want instant gratification. As a young person, we can't wait till we're 16 and we're able to drive. We can't wait till we get to 18 where we're legal to do various things or get to 21, which is considered adulthood pretty much all over the world. But you know, as we live and time continues on, it it seems to speed up. And if we're realistic as we think about eternity, this life is so very short. And yet Satan encourages us to live by this idea of whatever we can do for the here and now. To be successful in the spiritual sense, we must be able to have a different perspective. We must be able to see the bigger picture and have a view of eternity to make the proper decisions to meet God one day. We're going to look at the path of humanity beginning at our very start. We all come into this world. We're born. We don't have a choice when we're born, who we're born to. We don't have a choice what country we're born into, what color our skin is. Through God's providence, we come into this world. And we will never exit this illustration that we have in front of us. We start and then we exist for eternity. 
Brother Pat Manon developed much of this material somewhere around 40 years ago. So this is going to be a review for a lot of you. But there's many of you that are seeing this illustration for the first time. This morning we're going to cover the left side of this illustration, these four large boxes which are indicative of our existence on this earth. And then tonight at 6 o'clock when we come back together, we're going to pick up the ideas about what happens after death. You know, we, we are veiled as far as being able to understand what happens after death. There's only one book, the inspired Word of God, that tells us where we come from, what our purpose is, and where we're going after this life. How many of your friends have died and come back to tell you what it's like on the other side? It's an anomaly when someone is able to come back. There's a few cases in Scripture where people were raised from the dead, and then they went on to die again and to move into eternity. Jesus Christ is the exception. He was put to death and then resurrected to stay alive. And He taught much about things after death. And we have that recorded in His Word, and we'll be looking at that this evening at our evening service. But this morning, we want to look at our life as it exists on this earth. As we said, we all start in the same place, at your upper left, when we're conceived and then we're born into this earth. Everyone begins life in a blameless state. Let's look to Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul that sinneth... It shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. There's a very popular doctrine today around us in religion that's called Calvinism. It came from the mind of John Calvin in the 1500s. There's an acronym that sets out the five tenets of Calvinism. It's the word TULIP. The T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement. The I stands for irresistible grace. And the P stands for preservation of saints. As we go through our eternal existence and God's redemptive plan this morning, we're going to point out how the Scriptures contradict these five tenets that are forwarded in the doctrine of Calvinism. The first tenet, as we mentioned, is total depravity. And that's the belief that every human that is born is, inherits the sin of Adam. But we have just read from the prophet that the... Son does not bear the iniquity of the Father. Neither, neither does the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. We are born as individuals. We are born innocent. And then we are responsible for our own actions. But as infants, we do not have a knowledge of good and evil. We haven't done any wrong in infancy. And so we find that we are born innocent. In Ezekiel 28, verse 15, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. Here the prophet speaks of King Tyrus. says he started off in perfection until iniquity was found in him. 
He didn't start out with iniquity found in him, but he started out innocent. This confirms that we start our lives in purity and perfection as little ones. Some of our audience today falls into this category of innocence. We're not worried about the condition of their soul. This idea of total depravity does not come from God's Word. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, But Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. When we obey God and we're made free from our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're placed in the kingdom of heaven, as we'll notice in a few minutes. Christ said when we are in that state, we are like children. If children inherited sin and were sinners in their very infancy, then why would Christ say that we're like little children? There's nothing more pure and innocent. But we must understand that this journey continues. Little ones grow up physically, and they grow up mentally, and at some point, they lose their innocence because of sin. Sin is defined in 1 John 3, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sooner or later, the process of maturity brings understanding, Understanding brings accountability. Each individual breaks God's law, thereby losing their innocence and falling in a state of sin. When this occurs, we find ourselves moving to the next phase in our eternity. Paul described how this happened in his life. In Romans 7 and verse 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. When Paul didn't know good and evil, he didn't understand the law, he said he was alive. When the commandment came and when he understood good and evil, right and wrong, he became accountable. And he says sin revived and he died. The Bible places every person under sin. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every one of us that are older and we've got the mental capacity to use our conscience to identify what is right and what is wrong, every one of us have sinned. As we look back in our life, if we do so honestly, we can see many ways and in many times that we have transgressed God's will. And you know, once we lose the innocence that we have as infants, we can never go back. These perimeters of this illustration hold true. We can't pass through any of the solid lines in this illustration, and we can't go opposite of any of the arrows that are indicated here. And so we see that when we sin, we leave our innocence of infancy, and we move into this next leg of our pilgrimage. We leave this innocent state in one of two ways. You know, sometimes, sad but true, infants do pass away. We'll trace what happens at the point of death a little later on in our study, and we'll see what happens to their soul after they pass away. But we should know that the Word of God gives us every reason to believe that the soul of any child that passes away will go on to rest, to peace, and into the arms of Jesus. 
Most commonly, people exit innocence through the other corridor. We've already talked about it. All sin and come short of the glory of God. So how does this fall from innocence affect our relationship with God? Well, we turn over to Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin separates us from God. The prophet said a long time ago in Isaiah chapter 59, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear you. So there's a great change from innocence to guilt that takes place in our life. God understood that. He knew that this would be the case. That's why He formulated this redemptive plan before the earth was ever created so that this sin would have a remedy. Detached from God by sin, we cannot enjoy the blessings that God seeks for all of His creation. It's very simple. With sin dominating our lives, we cannot go to be with Jesus and enjoy everlasting life. Notice our Savior's words. I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Praise, glory, and thanks to God. Through His mercy, through His grace, through His love, He has provided a way for us to have a new start. It's referred to in Scripture as the new birth. It is the birth of water and of the Spirit. Jesus spoke of this matter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. He was performing miracles. He was speaking boldly from the will of God. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So let's think about this for a minute. Nicodemus was confused as Christ talked about a birth. And he was thinking about going back up to the top, the top left, and re-entering his mother's womb to be born again. But you see, Jesus was speaking of a birth that wasn't a physical birth, but it's a spiritual birth. And that happens through water and the Spirit. That happens when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and come into contact with His blood in the waters of baptism. Then our sins are washed away and we can regain our innocence before God. We've already said the passageway leaving innocence cannot go back the other way. So we want to take advantage of the opportunity that God, through His grace, mercy, and love, has extended. We said that all men sin and fall into this state of sin. The fact is, all men have access to the blood of Jesus to avoid the punishment that this sin brings. We call this rebirth the gospel. 
The gospel is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ when we obey the gospel that's given us in the Scriptures. When we believe, when we repent, when we confess, and when we're baptized according to the teachings of God's Word. Notice in John 8, in verse 24, I said therefore unto you, again the words of Christ, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. I want you to consider something carefully this morning. Is there any middle ground? You know, if we stop and think about it, every human being that's alive today is in one of these four places. We're either innocent, we're in sin, we're in the kingdom of God, or we've fallen from His kingdom. We heard a lesson a few times ago about evaluating, examining ourselves to see that we're in the faith. It's very, very important that we think about these issues, that we think about an eternal existence and where we stand before God. And the most important decision that we will ever make as far as eternity goes, is the decision to embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior. To be, obey the gospel, to be born again, so that we can move in, back into a covenant relationship with God. Christ said, unless we believe and obey, we die in our sins. Some have been born again through the gospel. They've obeyed the Lord in those steps that we mentioned because of their obedience, they have passed out of sin through contact of the blood of Christ, and God has placed them into His kingdom. As we said, the most important decision that we can make, so that we leave the phase of sin and we move into the kingdom of Christ. Notice that Paul did that very thing. Paul was an enemy of Christians until he knew the truth, and then he obeyed the truth. Ananias came to him in Acts 16, verse 22, and said, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul obeyed the gospel. He made a decision to move from sin into the kingdom of Christ. And as he wrote these other Christians in Colossae, he said, We have been translated into this kingdom. So I want us to think about the idea of Calvinism again. The second, third, and fourth tenets of that doctrine that seems to be so popular around us today. Unconditional election. That is the idea that God has predestinated every person as an individual. Before this world was created, He decided who was going to be saved and who was going to be lost. And there's nothing that we can do or say about it. That's this idea of unconditional election. And yet we see from God's plan, as we all go into sin, that we all have the opportunity from our will to make a decision to accept Christ. What about the verses that we read in Scripture? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is the whosoever? That means all of us have the option, if we want to seek the truth and find God, that God has provided His Son in the death on the cross 
so that we might have opportunity to be freed of our sin. Just as Paul was translated into the kingdom and these other Christians, at Colossae we have that opportunity. Revelations 22:17, Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Is God a puppet master that just looks down and He moves us around as He desires and He condemns some to eternal damnation without that person having any choice in it and some He elects for salvation with them having no choice in that? That is the third tenet or the fourth irresistible grace that God comes and goes into your mind and causes you to believe in Him and to obey Him whether you have that choice or not. The third tenet is limited atonement. And this doctrine says that Christ died only for those special people that were elected to be a part when God selected who would be saved and who would be damned. That His blood doesn't cover those that were elected to be sent to that lake of fire. Just a few days ago, there was a lady came to me and asked about this doctrine of Calvinism. And was it true? And what did the word tulip mean? These things are being taught in many areas today. And we need to understand that the redemptive plan of God speaks against these tenets of this doctrine. When we move into the kingdom, does that mean that we will never make a mistake again? Certainly not. We all continue to stumble. But if we walk in the light, which means when we stumble, we get back up and we keep working to be close to God, then the blood of Christ covers our sins in those cases. That's the significance of the church and of the kingdom. Because when we're in that entity or institution, we have the blessing of Christ's blood. There is only one safe place for those that are accountable to God. We read about that in Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Christ stated very clearly that He came to establish the church. That Greek word, ekklesia, means the called out of the world, out of sin, into the right relationship with God. The term church is used here in verse 18 to describe this institution. And then verse 19 speaks of it as being the kingdom. This is our place of refuge. This is God's redemptive plan come to pass. This is an indication or an exhibition of the manifold wisdom of God that we find in His church. I want you to notice specifically the, these words, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we come back together tonight, we're going to talk about that phrase and exactly what it means. We need to understand what he's saying here about the gates of hell not prevailing against the church. If we abide faithful in the kingdom, everything will be well for us as we travel down this pilgrimage toward eternity. 
The Bible says in the last part of Revelations 2, verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Whether we want to believe it or not, our salvation is conditional even after we come into the family of Christ. Do you see the words that are stated? Remain thou faithful, and you'll receive a crown of life. That teaches us that if we do not remain faithful, that we can lose that crown of life. That's the fifth tenet of of Calvinism, and that is preservation of the saints. The common term that people use today is once saved, always saved. And there's this idea that once you're selected by God and you're a part of God's family and in His church or in His kingdom, it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot lose your salvation. I want you to know this morning that the Bible does not teach that doctrinal tenet of Calvinism. This is probably the most popular part of Calvinism that people want to believe. It's in many of the denominations that once you're saved, you cannot be lost. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 11, And beside this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to, temper- and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins." Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Here's a phrase about never falling, but is it an unconditional phrase? It doesn't matter what we do. We don't have to add these characteristics. We don't have to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. We see very Clearly that these conditions are in place if we want to be in a position not to fall from God's grace. It goes on to say, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So having come into the kingdom, we must abide faithful. That's what a big part of the New Testament is written to do, is to equip us with the things that we need to be sanctified. When we move from sin and are born again, we're justified. We're made legally right before God. But then we have to continue to grow and mature. And that's called sanctification. And it's something that we do throughout our life until the time of our death. We mentioned that you can only leave innocence one of two ways. That fact is true for sin as well. We either are born again and we move into the kingdom, into that safe place, or we die separated from God. That's what makes this the most important decision, to obey Christ, to come into the church, and then not only that, but to remain faithful. Sadly, some will walk away from Christ. The Bible teaches, despite what men may say today, that you can fall from grace. I want us to read Galatians 5, verses 1 through 4 together. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, 
Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Did Paul tell the Galatians it was impossible for them to fall from grace? He said they had been made free through Christ, but then they were entangled again. They were going back to the law of Moses and trying to be justified in that way. And Paul told them they had fallen from grace. They turned their back on Christ. They turned their back on the tenets of the gospel. And they were following other things. You know, as long as we live and have breath, we do have an opportunity to come back to Christ, even though we fall away. The Bible tells us if we have sinned and fallen away, what to do to get back in God's favor and to receive His grace and forgiveness again. We have an example in Acts 8, beginning in verse 13. Or excuse me, in verse 13, we find that Simon believed and was baptized. He was saved. He followed the commandment of Christ. In Mark 16, where he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Simon did that. But eventually, he turned away from Christ. He tried to purchase the power to impart miraculous gifts on other people. We read this account beginning in verse 18 of Acts 8. And when Simon saw through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. See, Simon's heart had changed. He came to Christ, he was saved, but then his heart changed. So what did Peter tell him that he needed to do? Verse 22. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity. What is being in the bond of iniquity? Does that sound like he's entangled once again in things that he previously made a priority? He was a witch doctor. He made money from doing these tricks that he did and convincing people that he was someone great. He returned to that mindset and that attitude. He was in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. We find Peter rebuking Simon in verse 20. And then we find him giving him what he needed to do to be restored in verse 22. Today, if we desire to run, return to our loving Savior, we follow the same course. We don't go back over here to be born again because we are a part of God's family. And once we become a part of His family, we remain in that family, whether we're true or whether we step away. Remember the prodigal son? He was part of the father's family, but he made a choice to go to a far country. Do you think he would be saved in that far country? No, because he had fallen out of God's family. And he, he lived righteous living. 
when he came to himself and repented and made a conscious decision to turn around and go back to God, God accepted him in that. And that's what we see in the illustration that we're looking at this morning. What is the condition of an individual who makes this choice to step away from God? I want us to look at Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. There's people today that are in a fallen state. If you're in that state today, whether you're in this assembly or whether you're connected through Zoom, I want you to consider the seriousness of your state before God. If we are alienated from God and grow so hardened in this state, then it becomes impossible for us to repent and turn to God. The impossibility does not occur in God's court, but it occurs in man's heart. Again, how does God regard those who were once His, but they turn their back on Him and they step back into their entanglement in sin? Here are the strongest verses that I know about in Scripture to address this idea that once you're saved, you cannot be lost. Let's read these together. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. I want to ask you a question. What process can we do to be freed from the pollution of the world. There's only one process, and that's to be born again. And that process of being born again that frees us from that pollution puts us into the church. It puts us in a saved condition. But here it says that they, these were people in that situation, but then they are entangled again, overcome. And what does the Bible say? It says that the latter state is worse than the beginning. They're worse off over here having fallen than if they had never obeyed. Why? Because they have a knowledge of what they need to do to obey God, and they turn their back on that. And they step back into Satan's court. He goes ahead and says, that it, they, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to its own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. These words clearly teach that God is sickened by those who turn away from Him. We read earlier, it's like that we're crucifying Christ afresh. A person who finds themselves in this fallen circumstance has one of two options. They can either follow the example of Simon and repent and turn back to God, do what God has asked them to do, and return from that fallen state, or they die in their sin. So we have these four different rooms that we've discussed this morning. Innocent, sin... God's kingdom, this fallen state. 
Each one of these phases, we have two ways of leaving that phase and going someone else, somewhere else. When we fall, we can actually come back. There's a way to come back. But other than that, there's only one way that we can go. There's only one pathway or only one conduit that we can use to leave that phase of our eternal existence. And I want you to notice something else. Look at these, every one of these categories. Every one is going to end in death. Our existence in this life, unless Christ comes again and shortens this world, and we'll meet Him then without death, but otherwise we're all going to die. This is an uncomfortable uh, subject for many people. We don't want to think about death. But can we truly make proper decisions about our eternal existence if we don't consider the end of this life for every one of us? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. It's an appointment that every one of us is going to keep. So let's review just a second as we close our lesson this morning. You and I have been born into this world. We can't change that fact or really anything about it before then. We're born in innocence. We can't leave innocence except death or falling into sin. Once we fall into sin, we do have a choice. There's something that we can do about it. It's not like Calvinism says that we don't have free will and that we can't make a difference in our choices. We truly can make a difference. We can choose to be born again, to access the blood of Jesus Christ, to be made free of our sin, and to be placed in this safe haven. You can leave sin by coming to the kingdom of God or... In death, you will die separated from God. Once we arrive in this kingdom that God places us in because we make a free will choice to obey His commandments, then through that we receive His grace. It's not by our works. It's not by anything that we can achieve aside from God, but it's through obedience to His grace, mercy, and love that He's given us this opportunity to be born again. And our condition to come unto Christ and to be in His church is to obey that gospel. And so if we make that choice, then we have studied this morning that we are placed in the church by God. Placed there in this place of safety and under His blessings. We will find rest when Christ returns. John said in Revelations 14, 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. What does it mean to be in the Lord? Can we be in one of these lower rooms and be in the Lord? Of course not. We understand that our death will be blessed if we're in the Lord or if we're innocent in our infancy. When we do die, our soul will go back to God and we will receive the reward that God has planned for those that will obey Him, that will do His will. What if we fall away? Then we lose those blessings. You know, the Bible speaks of our name being written in the book of life. Revelations chapter 20. 
But it also mentions our name not being written in the book of life. Our will, our choice, not God playing puppet master or being a tyrant. It's our choice. God created us with a conscience. And it's our choice to either choose Him or to choose Satan. And that will determine where we go into eternity. In these bottom places, we face the lake of fire. The top places, we are headed for eternal bliss, prepared for all of those who will follow God. How sad for individuals to rebel against God and find themselves in a place separated from Him, not only in this life, but throughout all eternity. Again, are we examining ourselves? Are we looking to see where we fall in these different categories? And if we find ourselves separated from God, are we willing to take the steps to come back and be a part of Him? If you're a person that's never obeyed the gospel, we would beg with you today to consider obeying and becoming a child of God. You see what's at stake. If you're a fallen Christian, we implore you to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to take your opportunity to go back and to become a part of God's family once again. The church is ready and willing to help anyone that would like to respond to the invitation this morning. If you would, step out and come forward and be seated here at the front as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.